it's very powerful when someone that we love and care about decides to get help. I actually thought that like within my own journey that like my changes and my life transformation would like inspire this person and this person would be like, oh, you know, I want that too. But it doesn't always happen like that. Um, you have to have that realization. Like I had to have that realization. You had to have that realization. This person, thank God, finally had that wake up realization moment. And it's just, it's amazing. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And while you're checking Knocking Doors Down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Welcoming to uh, the Knocking Doors Down podcast, my homie Sandra Lee, of course, author, uh, speaker, founder, nonprofit. Uh, you've done so many wonderful things. Of course, the book, uh, uh, Rockstar Resilience. Check it out, people. Wonderful read. And it's good to finally do this. We've been talking about it forever. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We have. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. I feel like a dick because I forgot my Hope shirt today. I got out the door. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're such a big, I mean, you're a partner. So let's put that out here. You're a support partner for the Light It Up Project. And uh, so much you, you give us so much love and support and um just thank you it's just an honor yeah oh no likewise i'm i'm honored that uh you would think that much of me to say hey what do you think about helping support this i was like heck yeah it's a wonderful cause uh sandra i mean you're a listener you know i tend to start with this um yeah. things you're grateful for today being that we're in recovery recovery gratitude is everything absolutely so i am grateful first um Well, I'm grateful for God. I'm grateful for my life. Uh, I'm just grateful for where I am today in my life. I'm grateful to be able to help people. Grateful for a family member that just decided to uh, start treatment. That was probably like five. I'm just filled with gratitude. (laughs) (laughs) Some people struggle with uh, three, so your list is good and full. That's perfect. (laughs) go for hours like i've embodied gratitude it's just like a constant feeling (laughs) (laughs) the the gratitude cast here yes yeah that's that's interesting i mean if you don't mind speaking on it a little bit we don't want to obviously you know break anyone's anonymity but it's very powerful when someone that we love and care about decides to get help you know it really really is i actually thought that like within my own journey that like my changes and my life transformation would like inspire this person. And this person would be like, Oh, you know, I want that too, but it doesn't always happen like that. Um, you have to have that realization. Like I had to have that realization. You had to have that realization. This person, thank God finally had that wake up realization moment. And it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And you bring up such a good point. I mean, my father, God, when I finally started working recovery, was almost 20 years sober at that point. 
And granted, you know, I hadn't really lived with him and, you know, as a grown adult, but still, it's not like I didn't have an example, uh, you know, right, right. out there. And, and I, I, I just think it's the weird screwy, you know, I mean, we both are, are friends of Adam Jablin and Dr. Rob, and I just did a bonus episode with them not that long ago. So, you know, talking with them and understanding how screwed up our wiring and reward system is. Yes. It's a struggle to get out of it. I mean, you was primarily opioids, right? That you struggled with? Uh benzos. Benzos, that's right. So Xanax benzos. was my uh, drug of choice. Yeah. So I mean it's well, just... actually first it was Adderall. Oh, okay. And then then Xanax. And the Xanax was the long term one. I mean, you know, your brain was hijacked. And you're so stuck in it that you don't even realize it. It becomes your life. It becomes your identity. And no matter how many people tell you, like, look, you're an addict. Look what you're doing to your life. Like, you don't, you're not open to that. You're just, like, you have to have your own realization. And until someone has their own realization, like, that's how I feel. I feel that's what it takes as a person's own realization. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, again, if you think about just the reward system, it, it's going to be uh-huh. hard for our brain to acknowledge it because it's like, what do you mean like my life is going bad? Because you have a chemical that's giving you all these chemical reactions that our body naturally has that usually we have to earn somehow. And we're yeah. no longer having to earn it. We we went right the fuck around having to earn it to the just give it to me, you know? We so did. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean what are we gonna do it's uh it's tough it's tough i guess it's a situation though of how like tell me and i'm sure you've been there and and i've been honored to be one of those people to be able to quickly respond when someone has their moment of clarity yeah it's it's really important it's it's really important to quickly respond because they their brain is still like wired to like that's who they are and that's what they do and even in that moment of clarity it's like you kind of have to get them to understand they need to take action like right now there's an action you need to take you need to take this action and i think that's really important right after realization is taking action because if you don't take action then you may not get out of it yeah. Was that that way for you personally? Yes. So personally, when I had my wake up realization moment, I literally got on the phone with my husband and I was like, look, I have a problem. Um, Yeah, that was it was it was seeking support and then admitting I had a problem to somebody else. And those are the actions I took. And so when this person um had the conversation with me and had the conversation on a call that we were on. Um, it was the first time he, that person had ever admitted that they had a problem and, you know, they were reaching out for support and it was the same day that they had the realization. As much as it's a, and a wonderful show of fiction, but like breaking bad, I don't know if you ever watched it and no, I haven't, you know, there's a, one of the main characters and his girlfriend and they get hooked on heroin and her dad busts her. And, and he's like, you're going to rehab. And she's like, I will tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. You it's the first time I watched that show. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is telling us she's going to die because that, it happens a lot of people, especially oh. if you give them the opportunity for the last hoorah. I mean, most people that go into treatment that I've known, they show up loaded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't I don't mean to, you know, make light of it, but it's just true. It's, yeah. We do. We're like, oh, I'm never I may never do this again. I'm going to give it a gusto. And sometimes they never make that treatment, unfortunately. Right. So, yeah, I think the response, if you're in a situation that someone has that realization and reaches out to you for support, I think immediate action is really important. And like when they do the professional interventions, they normally have like a treatment center set up that if the person has the realization and the intervention, it's like, all right, you're going now, pack your bags. Mm -hmm. Like they're, you know, that are not giving them a few days to decide because a few days could be life or death. Oh, you're right. And yeah, and they sometimes your bag's already packed. Here you go. Yeah. But it's important. You got you have to. You have to. 
Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. Let me ask you about your book. Why did you feel it was the right time to write it? You know, I felt like it was the right time to write that book because I honestly feel like I've learned so many tools and to help me build resilience and and to keep like that muscle strong um, mm-hmm. that I needed to share that with other people. I needed to give other people the tools. I needed to share my experience, my personal experience, my professional experience to help other people. And I just felt like it was time. Like I felt like I was holding this gift to myself. And I feel like I felt like I could reach other people or more people with a book. And so that's why it was time. Well, and it's true. I mean, you know, for people that aren't in recovery, I often talk about, you know, giving this thing away. And and I mean, that's what it's about when we find things that work for us. And there's no guarantee that that everything that worked for us is going to work for anyone else. But usually, I don't know about you, I've definitely piecemealed together from so many different people for what continues to work for me. Right, right. Absolutely. And I and I share all of those things in my book. And I decided to write the book about resilience and resilience building and bouncing back from adversity instead of making it like an addiction recovery book. Because I felt like I could reach people that may be stuck in addiction or alcoholism that wouldn't pick up a book for that. Um, So I I feel like I can just reach people with resilience because everybody needs resilience building, whether they're an addict or not. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, life is tough. It is. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It just is. It's hard. You know, we're going to have hardships. It's it's really like attitude is is everything oftentimes it so is how do you keep your good attitude going what are some of the things that do work for you i i mean i have my moments i'm not always high energy and happy um but what really helps me is my connection with my higher power mm. prayer meditation um keeping a positive mindset doing exercises to get rid of negative thoughts, um, moving my body, different things. Those, those things have really helped me. And I think meditation is probably one of the, one of the main things that really help other than my connection with my higher power and prayer. Did you struggle when you first started meditation? I still have, uh, I ask because I still have a tough time if it's not guided somehow. So I'm going to be honest. I have never not done guided. I have only done guided because it works for me. So I figure if it works, you know, uh, don't mess with something that works. (laughs) It works well. So it it worked for me. And so I just continued and I, uh, I, I will, you know, not to say that I won't try the other types of meditations, but this works for me. So I'm the same. And I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, I think I still have yet to check this out. And I asked my doctor, like, hey, should we do a test? Because I've always wondered if I have uh, some form of ADHD. Because okay. I am I, I am Mr. Squirrel, you know, like in the movie. Yeah. And so I've, I've really questioned that. And you've struggled in that area too, correct? Oh, absolutely. So that's kind of how you got off on to the benzos and other stuff was because it was prescription. I actually got that. Uh, they prescribed it for severe panic attacks mm. and which was a symptom of the severe PTSD that I had. And so definitely, you know, I have ADHD too, but um, that's when that was prescribed. W- with the PTSD, I mean, it's, 
it's weird. I mean, I guess I don't know if I experience it from any traumas, but uh, asking you is it's something else that just has to be managed, right? Yeah, it really is. And I feel like you can heal from it. Um, I've done, uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, okay. I've done, uh, I believe it's called EMDR. Yeah. It's a trauma, uh, you know, therapy and learning about your, you know, your triggers and how to manage flashbacks and, um, doing things, uh, exercises and coaching that helps rewire those brain, you know, your brain circuits or your you know, whatever um, <laughs> you're thinking and Your neural you know, pathways, all that. Yes. That's yeah. the, that was, that's what I was looking for was neural pathways. It, it wasn't coming to me. <laughs> Your neural pathways. And so I'll be honest in saying that I very rarely have um, emotional flashback, flashbacks or mental flashbacks anymore. Really? Anything. I, I've debated the, the EMDR. I just can't find anyone here. It's the, what is it? Uh, eye movement rapids or something dialect rapid. I forget what the heck yes. it stands for, but it has to do with a lot of different eye movement. And what was your experience like with it for people that maybe are curious? Um, so going through it, I didn't like it. No, uh, it was, it was kind of brutal. Um, because, and I, I don't know if this is every session or just the way that the, the doctor did it with me, um, but they have you walk through your trauma and refeel it and relive it. And I did not like that. <laughs> um, very feeling sensitive, sure. uh, very empathic. And I feel things more intensely than people who are not. Um, so I did not like it, but I continued and it did help. It really helped decrease emotional flashbacks. It helped decrease, um, mindset or mental flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it's effective. I just didn't enjoy it. Not like I'm not speaking negatively, sure. negatively about it. I'm just saying, you know, I didn't like the experience. But it was beneficial. So we don't always like the process and we like the outcome. Well, it's like nobody, I don't know anyone that's overjoyed about going and getting blood drawn, but we want, we, it's much more beneficial to get a screening and know if there's something wrong than not. And I think it's exactly, it's part of that recovery process. Yeah, it really is. Cause yeah, getting, stopping the, the addiction part is just the first step. Yes, that is. It's healing all the trauma um, and healing what made you use in the first place or made you drink or whatever, yeah. you know, your addiction is. It's, it's, wow, it's so much more than just stopping. At what point were you like, I'm going to start talking about this stuff? Because if I remember correctly, a lot of the PTSD, you were a... Uh, a nurse, an RN, and it was yes. some of the stuff on, on the job, which happens so frequently with people in the medical profession that's it's not really talked about enough, in my opinion. Um, so I started talking about it. Maybe it was actually after I did treatments and after I did life transformation coaching and like after I did all of that, I started um talking about it because there's so many people that that struggle with it and especially in the medical profession nobody talks about it it is not something that i i like knew other people go through um so i felt like really i, I was giving people a voice and encouraging people to speak up for support and what kind of responses did you get responses from coworkers and well, at that time, I was no longer in the emergency department. Mm -hmm. And so, but I still had like um, a network or a social following of a lot of people that I used to work with and or friends that are, you know, medical professionals. And from like my closer friends, I didn't get um, positive feedback. They really? didn't understand um, why I would be sharing that. They didn't understand um, 
like why I would talk about my suicide attempt or why I would talk about, you know, the panic attacks and the triggers and the emotional flashbacks and the mental flashbacks. And they just didn't understand. So I did in the beginning, I got a lot of negative pushback and Mm. I had to push through um, fear and I had to push through a lot of things to talk about it publicly. Ah. But after, after the initial, it was like the longer I did it, like people were very receptive and I would get inboxes from old coworkers, doctors, uh, you know, thank you for your voice. Thank you for what you do. You know, we, we need more of this. And so the negative kind of turned into a positive. I think once people realized that it wasn't just, you know, that I was really committed and really believed in helping people in this area. So now it's very positive, but I did face a lot of um, I negative feedback in the beginning. And it was actually a process. I started with the mental health and PTSD and, you know, I started with all of that. And it took me a while to even come out and talk about my Xanax addiction. I, I, and I can understand that. I can completely yeah. understand why. But it is tough. It is. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I had a lot of people that once I really put it out there, like, hey, you know, I'm sober. I'm sorry. Or I would show up somewhere I used to and they're like, let me buy you a drink. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. A lot of people just did me a favor and went away. You know? Yeah. Because it's like, I'm not questioning you. I'm only talking about me. Like, if you want to have judgment and somehow it made you think something about yourself well that's on you not me i'm not calling anybody else and i never will like right and i i got this buddy that uh or not buddy he's my adopted homeless guy arthur and when he's sober sweet young man when he's not he's struggling there's clearly some ptsd from sexual trauma physical abuse and other stuff that's the trauma underneath issue and but i you know i would never sit there and go you know, Arthur, you're an addict and you need to clean yourself up. But yeah, I told him what I do. I've let him know. And so that way it's then available. And I mean, right? you know, I love you for it. That's what you've done. You've now made yourself, despite whatever criticisms people have, because there's always going to be, especially when you're on the right course, right? You made yourself available to so many wonderful people that that just like, oh, thank you. I'm not alone. And now I get so much of that, especially, you know, with everything I'm doing with the charity and the outreaches that we've done and uh, the awareness campaign and everything. I get so much of that now. I get so much gratitude from people and it, it's really, it's it's amazing now. I, w- I want to talk about some of the great work you've done with the charity um, because it helped you push upon, uh, past some of those extra fears. One of them was traveling, flying alone. Yeah, it really did. I, when I, you know, was suffering from the PTSD, I had severe panic attacks where I wouldn't even want to leave my house. And even when I got clean, you get um, like rebound anxiety and rebound panic attacks. And so even after I got clean, I stayed pretty isolated for a little while. And so for me to be be well enough to get on a plane and travel by myself was just like huge, huge, huge for me. And to stay in a hotel alone and, you know, just big, just big. And I've flown. In fact, when I started speaking, I I had people go with me. I always said I I have to take a support partner when I go speak. And I almost never go speak alone um, just to have like that support. I'm afraid, you know, but it, it it was like freedom and pushing past your comfort zone, I guess. Oh, I think it's awesome. And on this, on the speaking stuff, I mean, you know, with the anxiety, I, like I've done it professionally as far as hosting events and stuff, but it's still a challenge for me because it, you know, we're getting personal with our, with ourselves. Yeah. Was there a struggle for you with that? You know, I mean, be it 10 people or 10,000 people, 
you know, you're still coming with a, a, a real vulnerability that you have to, to be authentic. Yeah. And it takes, takes some courage. I mean, was that, was this a big thing that you really like, I got to write this out and weigh this out and plan if I'm going to really do this. I actually like the dream and the vision for this nonprofit um, is to have a speaking team. And we actually have a speaking team of nine or 10 hmm. that are all partners and I knew that was just part of my calling. And, you know, I didn't know where speaking would fit with everything. I was still trying to figure out all the pieces. And to get over that fear and to be like educated and equipped, I actually joined a speaking academy. I joined an elite speaking academy and then I did speech training calls. And uh, I learned how to build a speaking business. I learned how to do a keynote. I learned like all of these things, which helped build the confidence for me to be able to do that. Well, that's such a good thing to to, find, to be like, hey, we got to keep learning. Like no matter yes. what in life, you know, it's, it's funny. I was uh, having a conversation, you know, we were talking about like elite people, though, 1% or whatever it is. And we were talking about the fact that no matter what, like successful people still need a coach, a teacher, you know, just yes. because they're in a position to be a mentor doesn't mean they don't have people that they still work with to teach them things, too. It's not like learning stops for any of us. Right. And I've had multiple coaches and all of my coaches always say they have coaches. So no matter what level you're at. There's always like a higher level and people that know more than you, people that have more tools, people, you know, there's always someone higher than you, no matter where you're at. Yeah. Or just a different set of tools altogether. Not higher. I guess that's not yeah. what I'm saying, but, you know, just more tools to teach. No, I get it. I, I, I agree with you. There are certain hierarchies of things. There just is, you know, it's, it's right, kind of right, right, right. Right. You know, it's kind of like if I, I want some advice on on public, uh, you know, some speaking engagements. I've not done a ton, but you have. Guess what? I'm going to hit yeah. you up. Uh, maybe if you and I want to know more about like podcasting and broadcasting. OK, well, I've done that for 20. Jesus, how old am I? 24 years now. So, you know, you right. might reach out to me and it's just the way that it that it goes. It's yes, it's, it's a good thing. It really is. And you know what just came to my mind? Um, like backtracking just a little bit, you had said that like, you know, you had to push through some fear and and talking about the anxiety and speaking. The second time I spoke on stage, um, I actually got out on stage and I felt like I was going to have a panic attack in front of all these people. So I had to think quick. And uh, I actually, I told everybody to close their eyes. And I was like, I just want you to enjoy this moment with me in real time and go ahead and take some deep breaths. We're going to breathe in. And so I literally breathed through this panic attack. Audience had no idea. They <laughs> thought I was like, you know, calming them to receive the message. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a speaker hack. Like I, you know, cause it's like sink or swim and you're in front of an audience. It's like, shit, what do I do? <laughs> so, you know, I was like, all right, close your eyes. And it calmed me in the moment. And that's just the beauty of having tools, you know? I think that in addition, that's, that's a really powerful thing to do because now you've just immediately gotten audience participation. Yes, they're, they're yes. Quickly invested. So hats off to you. That was like <laughs> <laughs> that was some quick thinking for sure. Right. And you know, in the back of my head, it's like you've worked way too hard for this. Don't you dare seem, you know, like don't let them see you break. Like, don't let them see you sweat. Like, and, and I was just like, all right, we're gonna close our eyes. And like it, it was great. I was so proud of myself. And like nobody knew. <laughs> nobody knew. <laughs> Well, that's the funny thing sometimes with our with our fears, our anxieties and stuff. Oftentimes people don't know, you know, we're like, oh, everybody picked up on that. And it's like, mm, no, I mean, I had coworkers when I got sober. They're like, I had no idea you had a problem. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so it's just how it can be that sometimes we're so because these emotions are so real for us. We're so it's yes. hard to break free and accept that. Oh yeah, what I'm feeling inside isn't what's necessarily radiating out to everybody else. 
That's so true. And I think too, that's probably a reason that um, sometimes women so often with mental health issues go undiagnosed is kind of the way that it, it can get masked. Yeah. Did you, did you find that when you finally acknowledged it, that it was, you know, I mean, sadly, and I hope we've moved away. Oh, you're just wanting attention or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, you know, that's still out there. Um, it's, it's, it, it is. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've had to deal with that as well. How do you deal with it? Do you accept it as that's a them problem, not a you problem? What's kind of some of the the self-talk, the work, maybe reaching out. We do have a fellow mentor. Um, yeah, I I do all of those things. What are some of the other big challenges that you felt you've had to embrace? Again, you know, we come out of this addiction phase and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I went from having this one problem to a multitude of problems and things that I have to start to embrace. Uh, you know, for me, it's it was... Oh, I got to learn to be more organized. I've got the, you know, um, cause there's a multitude of them. Is there any of them that stand out for you that was like, oh, this is a really big fear. I've never had to really do this. And now it's time I have to step into this. In addition to obviously the traveling by yourself and public speaking and so on. Yeah. So actually, when I got clean and because I had been addicted to Xanax, um, I pretty much sedated myself for like two and a half years. So you're, you're not having a lot of brain activity. So when I actually got clean, the, the learning, like I had to kind of like relearn how to speak. I stuttered a lot. Okay. The, um, like I couldn't get my words out. The delivering of like the thought to the verbal was like really slow. And so I had to learn like how to like speak again without stuttering. And I had to learn like normal everyday things again, almost like I had a brain injury. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. Know so after all of that, um, yeah, there was a lot of things I had to push through uh, fear of uh, family accepting like the new person I was becoming. Uh, that was a big one because People are like, oh, she's changed. Like, yeah, right. You know, the so the longer that you just show people through your action and through the way you live, then they start to accept it. Yeah. But that was a huge challenge for me is that nobody like, I don't know, like you feel like a new person, but everyone still sees you as the old version. Yeah. So that was a huge challenge for me and a fear because yeah. it was it was scary. Nobody like it was like I was alone. I don't know. I, I don't know if I explained it well enough. No, very much so. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. And it's it's hard because, you know, we say a lot of things when we're in our, in our addiction and our mm. actions greatly uh, contradict that. And yeah. so it's it's hard to get people when you're, you get clean and you're telling them, I love you. And, you know, and you start to do what you say and say yeah. what you mean that, you know, that you kind of have to convince them to turn the volume down or off when it comes to what you're saying and just really watch. And right. I think it takes a lot longer to see the actions and the consistency mm -hmm. and even the above and beyond maybe what the prior expectations were. And right. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's it, addiction is a it's a family and societal issue. You know, we we got to stop treating it like oh, well, it's just the addict over there. You know, or or it's just the homeless people. No, this right. happened in your homes from the top down. It I don't does. care how much money and and it is. It's a it's a huge problem. It's a struggle within a family. I mean, I grew up in a home of addiction. Lost family members and friends to this disease yeah. uh, more than I care to count. Yeah. You know, and so everybody kind of has to adjust every because it, it, it just the dynamics going to change. There's no way it can. Right. You're so right. And it's a process. It's definitely a process. Were boundaries a struggle for you? Yes. 
Um, I didn't know what a boundary was. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Hand up. <laughs> I honestly, and it's funny that you say that because I, I didn't know what a boundary was. Um, I had a support person who had been through, um, like a 12 step program and was kind of my mentor. Um, and he told me I crossed the boundary and I was like, what do you mean? Like, what did I do? Like, what? what the hell's a boundary? Right. And, uh, you know, they responded just, uh, they were like, educate yourself. And I was like, ah, so the very first book I bought was called boundaries. And I started to educate myself. What was some of the most valuable things if you re recollect from it? Mm. Mainly like the emotional boundaries for me, was probably the most important um you know i would let people just walk all over me for so many years and almost like use me use my kindness use my loving heart and i would just be stuck with so much like emotional pain from it and so putting up those boundaries and that was just probably really important for me it's it's hard i i too am a recovering people pleaser yeah yep I always wanted to be liked. And, and so yeah. with the boundaries, sometimes you have to embrace, oh, they don't like me. And oh, well, that's not really any of my business. I'll just carry on. Right. Like, it's okay. Yeah. I, that was that was a big one for me. Uh, allowing just crappy behavior, like allowing people to treat me like with disrespect or uh, just say, you know, horrible things to me like those boundaries and loving yourself and knowing that you're worth more and you deserve respect and you deserve to be valued. So learning those boundaries was a life changer. It's tough. I mean, even if you're not uh, in recovery, like you and I, it's boundaries are tough. They're tough to figure out what they are. And Yes. And you know what? Learning and being educated about boundaries are very different than implementing those boundaries. And when you start recovery, you have let certain people like treat you certain ways. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, you can't talk to me like that. You, you know, I'm going to excuse myself or, you know, whatever. They're like, what the heck? Cause you've already taught them. It was okay to treat you like that. And so when you start implementing boundaries, it's like, what's going on? So it's it's hard. Well, and that's that goes back to the the changing dynamic of yeah. the, the the you know the home structure, the social structure, and everything else. Because yeah. you know it, you change an element on something, and the paradigm shifts. It it, it just does. It's inevitable. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, I hate to make like a race car analogy, but a big, <laughs> a, a big fan of Formula One. Hey, you put a bigger wing on the back of a car, it's going to be a little bit more draggy. So it's not going to go in a straight line as quick, but it might grip the track and turns better. You know what I'm saying? It's just like yes. you change something, it's a big, small, whatever it is, it's going to change. It just is. Yeah. It's how it works, people, mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's hard because not only are we trying to rewire how we work and everything else, but then because and through that, other people got to either grow with us or go away. So true. And it's uh, it's almost like a shedding of the old and stepping into the new person, getting rid of, you know, people that, that aren't pouring into your cup or positive for your life. And it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever watched the show uh what we do in the shadows no you know i'm not a big <laughs> tv person not a big tv person <laughs> i'm like since since i started recovery i'm more like i'm so busy with yeah. like everything that i'm doing and i became a book person well that's a good thing the and only so reason i'm I... not a big tv person i very rarely watch tv the only reason I ask is there's a character and it's ba it's like a mock, uh, think of like the office. So like a mockumentary show where it's uh, uh, oh, following yeah. vampires and it's a comedy, oh, of course, but one of them, he is an energy vampire. So he literally gets around people and just uh, is the Debbie Downer and just like you can see people start to fall asleep and it's 
it's one of those things that we used to embrace. Like, I don't know yeah. about you. I used to have people that just suck the energy out of me. Like you get off on a, a 10 minute call and it's like, I need a nap. What yes. the hell just happened? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you learn in recovery to separate yourself or excuse yourself or to love people from afar. Um, you know, you just learn. Yeah. Well, it, and it's hard to acknowledge when those points come. It really is. And the letting go of people is not easy, always, because mm-hmm. um, you have connections, you know. Especially people if you've built memories with. Yes. You know, and there was the good times, but then you have to kind of go, okay, this, you know, what is that saying? Uh, you meet everyone for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And it's hard to accept when someone is just a big reason or seasonal or whatever it is that it's like, oh, this, this was, you know, is what it is. It was transactional in a way. And I don't mean that in a malicious way, but it's tough to embrace. It really is. And you know what, what kind of helped me with understanding and being at peace with those decisions was one of my mentors told me that if you think of your life as a book and you're rewriting your narrative and you're rewriting your story, um, that not everybody is going to be in every chapter and that's okay. Some people weren't meant to be in your whole book. So I think that like analogy just really was like a mind-blowing moment for me like wow so that that really helped me well because we all uh you know make a movie analogy we all need an obi-wan kenobi but obi-wan kenobi you know he he went away in the first uh first segment there for luke and you know yes. then, we, then we got a yoda and then uh you know eventually we go from the the, the student to the master in some ways and um yeah it's that weird just cycle of life and life balance and all of it it really is and and i also always thought of it as like all right plot twist like you can plot <laughs> twist whenever you want you don't have to keep the same people the same stories the same everything plot twist <laughs> <laughs> here comes the, uh, the m night Shyamalan, the guy that's always got a weird twist to his storytelling yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. Just sneak it in um so why did you start the nonprofit? Let's t- t- talk a little bit about that. What was the the driving behind the nonprofit and tell people about name where they can find out more and everything else? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the starting of the nonprofit really came um, kind of early on in my recovery when I got a new connection with my higher power and I just felt spiritually led. Um you know, that I'm a leader and I have all these gifts that I can share. And I, uh, you know, I'm a really great facilitator. And I just really had this dream, this vision to, to build this and to help other people. And uh, it's called Love and Light to the World Nonprofit. It was founded like, right, my recovery started, like right when COVID was starting. And there was a huge need for people to know that it's okay to speak up for support, that supports were available, you know, for mental health, for addiction, for, you know, emotional wellness, for things like that. And so we, we just, I just had a heart calling and uh, I was in a, I get all excited because I, this is like my passion. Yeah, I love it. So I was in a coaching uh, group and I shared my idea and my vision and like all of these people like supported me and believed in me and they became like volunteers. They became all the directors on my board. Um, So I had a lot of support and we just started building in our very first outreach. We didn't even have a website. We didn't have like any way to even give people support. But we started doing these outreaches and we started reaching out to nurses, actually, because it was during COVID. And so we lit up hospitals with uh, Sandra's self-care bags that had self-care reminders, uh, affirmations. It had my personal story and encouraged them to reach out for support. We kind of like gave surprise parties with chicken and decorations and um, all of that. And in the letter 
that, uh, you know, I put in there, I gave all of my um, personal, like Facebook and Instagram and like whatever, you know, if you need support, please reach out to me because we didn't have a platform yet. We had the formation of the charity, but we didn't have a website. We didn't have any of that. And so people will start reaching out like personally. And, uh, you know, I, we just started help directing them, you know, to resources and, and just emotional support and things like that. So that's kind of how it started. Uh, I love it. You know, it's, uh, as someone that's, uh, I work a lot on myself internally of being like, uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just, you're a wonderful example. And one of the things I admire about you and appreciate, you know, our growing friendship is you just started. You're like, we're just going to start. We're going to learn as we go. There will be some mistakes. Perfect. We'll learn from them. I mean, that's the way it has to be. Oh my, and you know, I, we still have, like as an organization, we still have some things in the background that still need to be built in. And and, and you know, it's it's a process and it hasn't slowed me down because I can we we as an organization and as the awareness campaign, it doesn't matter if something's not done in the background, we can still speak, we can still do outreach, we can still do things. So you know what? We'll figure it out. We're learning and building along the way. So I've always been transparent with this is not a finished product, we're building. And so it's been kind of challenging to build out loud. Not a lot of people do that. Um <laughs> So it's just, and it was part of my recovery process. Sure, absolutely. We'll talk about the awareness campaign for a little bit. Yes. So it's called the Hashtag Light It Up Project. It's an awareness campaign for mental health and addiction recovery. Um, and, the, you know, the, the mission is to uh, create awareness and provide support to prevent or, yeah, pretty much to prevent like suicide and overdose death. Yeah. And we encourage people to speak out for support. Um, and what the actual campaign is, it's it's visible support. So when people see like this band and so many people wearing it in unity, that they know they're not alone. They're encouraged to speak up for support and, and they're connected to other people that are fighting for themselves and fighting for them as well. Yeah. So, and we have these hearts and yellow heart uh, yeah these are on houses and cars and actually we just now started getting into uh you know reaching out to youth and someone had uh, messaged me the other day that their daughter has one in her closet oh that's great and uh that's just so like heart touching <laughs> Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, so if people, you know, follow knocking doors down on social media, you'll see oftentimes in the post there, I have it where it's hashtag lighted up, followed by a yellow heart. And so that's part of this campaign. So, you know, yes. just letting people know that, hey, you're not alone. Yes, absolutely. And the um, the meaning of like the heart actually brings attention to that hashtag because it sticks out that yellow emoji it sticks out for people and so that's where that that's how you know that kind of came about and we encourage people to use hashtag lighted up with the yellow heart uh to help us create awareness on their social media posts mm -hmm. and it's on the back of our shirts and on our wristbands and so if people in the communities you know see that see it on the band or see it on the back of the shirt if they look it up, they're going to find support and they're going to find people that are in recovery and they're going to find, you know, our campaign as well. Yep, absolutely. Well, I know I've had a few people. I did Again, I didn't wear it today, but I had the same shirt that Sandra's wearing and I've been at the grocery store and people, oh, hope that's cool. And then they look at the back and then they'll ask, well, what do you do for a living? And yes. what's that about? And, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, you know small portion of this campaign show people struggling with mental health and addiction issues that they're not alone and they can get help and you know yes and i actually uh was at kroger one time walking back out in the parking lot and i had one of my shirts on and she stopped me and she was like i needed to see hope today thank you mm -hmm. and i was like oh <laughs> like it just touched my heart and uh so people like, 
how can I explain it? So when I literally like tried to take my life, I had no hope. When I was in my addiction, I had no hope. And I know what it feels like to not have any hope and to feel all alone. And if just wearing the shirt like can give somebody hope or wearing this wristband or seeing that yellow heart can give somebody hope. Like it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. It's tough when hope is lost. That's when yes. you can get to a very, very tough place. Uh. Anyway, yes. sorry. I kind of started yes. to think about some past memories of, uh, you know, filling some of that stuff again, that hopelessness. And, you know, and I keep those things close because it reminds me, ah, if I lose hope, that's where I could go again. Um, but uh, uh, before we get to random questions, people want to grab your book, want to follow the foundation or just reach out to you maybe for a speaking engagement. What's the easiest ways to do so? Yes. So uh, the organization website it's a www.loveandlighttotheworld.org and you can find our campaign you can find speaking services you can find all of that on there and then there's also a link there uh that takes you to my personal website where you can buy my book awesome and then on social medias you can find the hashtag light it up project with the yellow heart emoji we just started a new tiktok we just started a tiktok and uh we're on facebook and also on um instagram sorry my brain's like <laughs> to facilitate these things out uh and we have rockstar testimony which is a podcast platform uh and all of our podcast partners are on there their links are on our website their uh some of their content is on uh rockstar testimony and uh it's a you know resource for people to find different podcasts uh for sport absolutely yeah, i show up there a few times huh <laughs> Uh, all right, time for some fun random questions. All right, all right. <laughs> These are for shits and giggles. Um, you could have dinner with any one person, living or not. Who would they be? Because when I had my wake up realization moments, one of his songs came to my mind. Actually, after a Bible verse, so I always say, "God and Eminem saved my life," but. Um, it was an Eminem song, you know, from like back in the day. And it was, uh, I'm not afraid, you know, we'll walk this road together through the storm. Uh, so Eminem, and I've always been an Eminem fan. Right on. That's cool. And then uh, I would give him a wristband and tell him to wear it and, you know, promote <laughs> right. the campaign so we can save more lives. <laughs> so it would be Eminem. <laughs> and I really admire what he's done. And I mean, gosh, what is he at 15, 16 years sober now? But yeah. what he's done in his recovery, I mean, everything from mom spaghetti there in Detroit that, you know, gives out free food and, you know, yeah. so much different stuff. And it, and it really goes to show at the end of the day, you know, it's it's uh, it's frustrating to me when, when somebody might go, yeah, you know, people with money or whatever. And, you know, they're you know, at the end of the day, no matter what, it's who we are as a person and what we might do with what we have, whatever the tools are. And sometimes it is someone like him who did really well and, you know, gives back. Yes. And it's and it's such an inspiration because so many people like myself, I came from poverty. I came from a broken home. I came, you know, and I actually grew up in an area like right by him. Oh, OK. Uh, so there's a lot of similarities. And I've just always loved him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were from uh, around Detroit and all that. Yeah, I actually grew up like a block away from Detroit. It's oh, called wow. River Rouge, and it's it's an area that's called like Down River. That's you know known. Some of the cities down there are known to be like poverty and rough and ghetto. And um, so yeah, that's where I grew up. And then as I got a little older, probably middle school, we moved to more of like a suburban city uh, that was still maybe fifteen minutes away from Detroit. Hmm. And now I live on the other side of Detroit. Um, but actually, I'm still probably like, I want to say 20 blocks, but maybe it's a little further. But I'm still on the border. I'm just on the other side now. So you've written a book, so you can't say your own book. But uh, what's a book that you would recommend that personally impacted you the most, if you can think offhand? You know, it's a Joyce Myers book, and I cannot recall the name of it at the moment. 
what was, was some, some ah. the, what was some of the tools that you took away from it? We can oh you might have it there with you, huh? You linked oh man, there goes all my books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was great. Um the healing soul of a woman. And um just uh you know like searching within and uh, you know different ways to heal and it was just really powerful uh you're stranded on a deserted island you have one movie and one music artist greatest hits which i could probably guess that might be eminem uh but what what uh what would the movie and music artist be so when you said that the first thing that came to my mind was the for the movie was coal miner's daughter and that's because my grandma used to watch that with me and it just gives me like all growing up that was like her favorite movie and i guess it just gives me that feeling of like love and home and uh my grandma um so yeah i guess it'd be coal miner's daughter all right an artist would be eminem i'm gonna suppose yeah, let's go with him. Okay, sounds good. Because nobody else is, is, I'm not feeling anybody else, so let's go with him. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else pop came to mind. Right, nobody else is popping up for me, so. <laughs> uh, what was maybe one of the most impactful things uh, or uh, positive advice you received early in your recovery? I would say someone told me that you have to, after you, you know, like find or come back to like your authenticity, that you have to practice and be authentic for any type of success. And then when you're authentic, it inspires and encourages other people to embrace their authenticity. So authenticity. That's good. Uh, what about the most negative advice you've received? Uh. <laughs> that was like a moan of, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot of that shit, Jason. There has, and I've kind of just blocked it out and healed from it. So at the moment, I can't even... Quite all right. That's a good thing. I'm proud of you for that. I <laughs> like I, you know, I do negative thought dumping and I literally just like pen to paper, write out negative thoughts, negative things people say. And I, you know, crumble it up and I literally have an effort bucket and I put it in my effort bucket and I just move on. <laughs> That's nice. I might have to incorporate an effort bucket. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, pet peeves, stuff that you see. Yeah, as long as I've known you, you've always been so joyous and bubbly, but there has to be something that just irks you and gets on your nerves. So, pet peeve, unkindness mm. when people are not kind, that it just irks me. Like, I have the understanding that you know if someone's unkind it's a reflection of you know their internal state and how they feel or their old trauma like i understand that but at the very least it costs nothing to be kind like even through all of that like we're all messed up on some kind of level you know some of us are healing some of us are not but kindness is free like it's just free you know so when people are unkind it just like I just wish everybody was kind. <laughs> <laughs> and sci- science has proven when you are kind to other people, there is a an exchange that happens that releases really nice chemicals that, that our brain and body like. So the more you do it, the better you're going to feel. It's just how it works. Yes. And actually, our nonprofit, our global outreach is acts of kindness. Yeah. And we inspire and encourage other people to do acts of kindness. And we've done like eight or nine events over the last few years of kindness. So yeah, I'm big on kindness and I never put that together. That one of the things that irks me is unkindness and here <laughs> I facilitate and lead acts of kindness outreach. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a reason behind. Yeah. And it, Apparently. And, and I think people overthink that like uh, act of kind like, well, I don't have hundreds or thousands of dollars to donate. It's not that it might just be holding the door for someone or, 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 a. Or a, hey, and have a good day, or, hey, man, I like Dr. Rob challenged me. He's like, you, you, 10 shoe experiment. I want you to compliment 10, pe- 10 men's shoes. Yeah. 
yeah, that worked. He goes, watch. He's like, compliment some guy. Hey, I like your Jordans. And they'll go, thanks. And then they're going to turn around and smile at you every freaking time. He was right. That's exactly what happened. Yes. And even just the smile in itself. Like, I was at the grocery store the other day. And I was just kind of observing and I'm like, everyone's like in their own world or on their cell phone. And like, there's no interaction. Nobody smiles or says hi or like, it's just, it was just weird. Like even a smile of the kindness. Well, my friend, the floor is yours. So whatever you want to lend, uh, maybe it's advice or just through your experience or if it's someone that's struggling, what would you want to say? So I want to say to anyone that's struggling or anyone that feels a loss of hope um, or feels alone, I want to say that you're not alone and, and there is hope. And I promise that there is a light inside of you that you can ignite that inner light of strength and you can come out of this darkness. There is life beyond, you know, mental health issues there there you can find wellness you can find wellness in recovery and and it is possible and i support you and i encourage you to speak up for support because it's courageous and the light it up project supports you so when you see one of these yellow bands when you see a heart when you see the hashtag light it up with the yellow heart we want you to know that you're loved you're not alone, and it's courageous to speak up for support. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.